A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me Greg Romero. Greg is a management consultant and the founder and principal of Romero Solutions Group. Greg helps small to mid-sized family businesses in that 2 to $50 million in revenue range with longer-term planning, specific strategic needs, for example, profitability, business operating, model redesign, growth, exit transition preparation, and more tactical problem-solving. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It's a real pleasure to join you on uh, your podcast. And I'm a big fan of what you've done in that there. It's a pretty impressive what you've created. So congratulations to you. Well, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And, and we met through a mutual friend, which is always the best way to start a relationship. And uh, you're in Boston, which is one of my favorite cities in the world where I went to law school, where I still have a lot of friends and connectivity. And we'll need to get meeting person as schedules allow. But let's let's go through the bio real quickly in terms of kind of how you landed with working with these kind of private businesses. You've got you've got more of a a Wall Street kind of wirehouse type background. So what led you into the space? Yeah, it's it's fun to know when you're in the right seat. And sometimes it's near the road that can lead you there. But I'm I'm very happy that I found this seat. As you said, I, I grew up at Morgan Stanley for about 12 years doing product development, strategy, internal consulting, a few key operator roles, uh, mostly on the wealth management side of the firm. Incredible foundation and experience, but I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I grew up in a family business, so my mind was leading me to find a, a smaller company that I, I personally felt I could have a greater impact. You know, I have a lot of respect for some of my colleagues who've gone on to do great things at Morgan Stanley and beyond in, in the larger firm space. But personally, just I was driven to, to join a smaller firm. And I had the opportunity to step in and lead 
my wife's family business for about five years. My father-in-law was looking to retire beyond his intended retirement date, having trouble selling the business. This was a traditional steel tubing up the oven up in Massachusetts, maybe about an hour to at less of Boston. And, you know, he bought the company in 1993, did great things, creating a lot of efficiencies. But as he got close to retirement, he became a little more introspective and kind of treated the business a little bit like a lifestyle business, as a lot of people do. And I think it caught up to him a little more quickly than he thought it would have. Lost sight of the world changing around the company a bit. And so I stepped in to run the company, figure out what made sense longer term and also to improve a number of things. And as I was in the role figuring out, okay, what makes sense. And so I was in that seat for about five years. And at the end of the day, I improved many facets of the organization and did a huge strategic assessment and realized that the best course of action was from my wife's family to get out of prisoners. And so ultimately I recommended me to sell and they agreed. So I designed and executed the exit strategy. And it turned out to work out very well. And it was value maximizing strategy. And we were out of the business, thankfully, one month before COVID. Oof. It's, it's uh, you know, you kind of lucky stars sometimes. You can plan all you want. I wasn't sitting there thinking that a pandemic was on the way, but I didn't know we were far into an economic boom. We had a strong balance sheet. Still marginally profitable, which, which is, this took a lot of work to maintain. But at the end of the day, a great end for happening. And so at that point, I had the opportunity as I was doing that, that little cleanup stuff with the company after the accident to say what's next. And I quickly realized, you know what? I'd love to start my own firm. Feel like that's how I can have the greatest impact. How do I tie my background? capabilities, experiences, and aspirations together. What does that look like? And I look back at my time at Maureen Stanley, my internal consulting world, like basically what I did for my life's family was almost serve like a consultant of sorts, but I was also the operator. And that really took a lot of meaning for me. So I lighted squarely on starting a management consulting firm, helping family businesses with their needs, whether they're strategic or longer term planning, helping them understand the state of their current company, how to, to plan better, what their options are, to more so the day to day operating of so How can you create efficiencies? Uh, maybe you need to fix a particular budget and improve your governance structure. The professionalism is something in, in family businesses that you sometimes can see needs help or a specific revenue driver cost driver that, that we need to, to work up. So I mean, that's really um, the road to lending to start my own company and kind of uh, I found the seat. That's exciting. So this this niche of these family-owned businesses, you know, our, our family, we don't have an operating company any longer. So we're purely a financial family. I know the family office space well, and it is very, mm, the demarcation can be stark between families that still have their opco Versus families that have had an exit and they are a quote unquote purely financial firm. Could you maybe speak to, since you've been on the advisory side, as well as the operating side, you've been through an exit and you've kind of come full circle, speak to some of the unique strains that come with owning and operating a a family business? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, 
I like to say it depends. In, in family businesses, if you have the operating company that's there, it, it depends. Some companies are more intertwined family-wise with the business. Um, some are in their original founding generation versus others that are multiple generations in. Some have only a few state owners, ultimately. Some that have dozens, potentially dozens. So just a few examples of different space. Now, using an example of a company that is more intertwined, if you have the operating company, you, know, you need to really think about governance structure, decision-making, just, just for example, because you may have to make decisions if it's a multi-generational company of what earnings go out of the company to the financial stakeholders versus go back into the company to maintain proper maintain operations and move the company forward. And in that scenario, you want to be really clear if you can on the rules for the road. You know, understand, have it on paper, have it documented and say, okay, in these cases, this is when money goes out of the company. This is the mission for the company that we need to make sure this crystal clear and follow. And from there, you want to then take the next level of bake in kind of what the authorities are for the decision-making, uh, roles, responsibilities, authorities, so that you know, yeah. it's clear who can make what decision. And then you want to communicate that within the organization. And that's really a, a critical element too, because in some cases you might think, well, you know what? You know that, you know, this is a sensitive subject. We, we don't want to actually have that conversation with the brother employees. I can understand that. But the more open you are on the way things work, the more trust the employees will have with you and the family. You want to avoid a potential situation where employees think there's nepotism and as much as you can. It's just that happens organically. It just some it, in the family business that that perception could be there. So you want to do everything you can to. That's so along those lines, and this is a talking your book or a self-serving question, but I, I know we've experienced this in our family, bringing in a third-party consultant, an arm's length, non-family member professional is, in my opinion, best practice because you avoid some of these intergenerational dynamics, right? These these family <laughs> uh, structures can often be very confusing and complicated, even internally for the family members themselves. What's the right way for a, a family to think about bringing in a consultant like you to help them work through these things and not necessarily be the man with the black hat, but just have an outsider's perspective of, hey, we're going to try to professionalize this. This is best practices. And you're going to come in, work with the family for a set period of time, and then probably move on to your next engagement. Yeah. So I'll give some context further on my particular role or the complementary providers out there who are also important to solve the question that you asked. So my goal is, is more so to focus on the company itself. And I, I can help them with the interrelated elements to help make sure that rules, responsibilities, interactions are clear between family business. But if there's material conflict within the family and it's difficult to get them to see eye to eye on things, there are behavioral scientists and one of the big markets that focus on the family business series to help with kind of more short term family therapy, but to help them work through conflict. So they will look back at the relationships over time and determine 
kind of what those sticking points are. So hopefully get people to, to see eye to eye or to work through and, and sustain the conflict that you get. In my mind, I will hopefully show them how the company currently looks in regards to internal capabilities relative to the external markets, all the markets, and hopefully show them or give them a better view of the company itself. And hopefully that will allow them to get on the same page. And I feel like as a third party, it is helpful and they might be more open to hearing it from a third party than from a particular family who, who might give the same advice. So every situation is unique, but I think as that third party, you have a unique or, or a good opportunity really to um, provide perspective that family members hopefully will not perceive as biased. For the record, I do recommend that every family has a family therapist on retainer. So a professional, both on a family level and also on an individual household level. So, but I agree with you, it's not your job per se, but I do think it is best practice, honestly. We're entering into, I mean, we're recording this in 2022. There's been a lot of talk for the last 10 years in private equity that this coming demographic shift of baby boomers aging out of their executive ownership positions and transitioning to millennials and Gen Zs, there's going to be this huge transfer of wealth. There's be this great buying opportunity. We really haven't seen that play out, but I do feel like we are at a tipping point with a pending recession. There's been a lot of volatility over the last 10 years. I get the feeling and, and anecdotally the sense that a lot of owners are ready to go to the beach, drink the margaritas and be done with it. How are you dealing with this dynamic of intergenerational exchange, companies getting ready to sell? Are you feeling and seeing the same thing that there are going to be a large amount of changes occurring within the private business community, given this demographic shift we're seeing play out? Yeah, you spoke to the last 10 years. It sounds like there has been pressure building maybe over the last 10 or 15 years. So exactly matriarchs, patriarchs and family businesses that for one reason or other have deferred. We're talking about some of them have played out and they've gotten out of the business over time, but I feel like there had been a lot of deferrals and COVID made people think about their situation within the family for the business and ultimately say, you know what, now's the time. You know, so people are thinking about it from a financial perspective, but also now wanting to enjoy their retirement. So generally, I would agree that there there is quite a bit of pressure that is, has accumulated on uh, matriarchs, patriarchs that are looking to let go of the reins and what's to come is the next generation stepping in a sale of some kind, whether it's to a private equity firm or a strategic by some other form of exit, such as taking asset value for the company, gifting it to your kids, doing an ESOP. So a lot of op options out there. And it is interesting this year with the market decline, inflation, indications that we are heading into some form of recession, even if it's a later one. That's, you know, maybe now is the time. It's not an absolute, but I, I think there are a lot of transitions that, you know, are to come. And, you know, I'm happy to be in my role to help the family business leaders understand the state, current state of their business, how they can potentially make improvements for the business in light of 
what options they might have to make the transition or even that next generation who's stepping in to help them understand the evolving markets around the company, how to make better decisions within the company, given the internal capabilities. So that answers your question in a very convoluted way. <laughs> Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of changes occur. Um, I do think there'll be quite a bit of, of volume of leadership change. And that's something I want to dig into a little bit more. Yeah. I've been going to a lot of family office conferences over the last six months, speaking to a lot of members of families. In many ways, family offices have become their own asset class. They've become institutionalized. They're behaving more and more like what we would refer to as a private equity firm in terms of deal sourcing, deal teams, et cetera. Are you seeing more family offices step into what would historically and traditionally be a private equity role? in terms of when these companies you're working with are doing a sale process? Are you seeing that play out in real time? I don't have quite as much visibility there, but my few anecdotal points that I, conversations I've had, I, I, I would say that seems to make sense. That's the next one you said. And are you seeing any changes in terms of maybe his uh, this company or, or this firm that you work with would have typically done a full sales process with an intermediary. Instead, their next gens are stepping up and saying, no, I want to take leadership. I want to take ownership. Companies are, are staying private for longer. Or are you seeing you know, the traditional transaction volume that you would anticipate? It really just depends. Every situation is unique. So I think there's a mix. Some families are dead set on that next generation stepping in. Others, you know, they it. You may not have that next generation or somebody in the family which step in the role. Or you may have the next generation who said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to go into the family business. You know, I want to go a different path. And it's important to have those open conversations within the family so that you can plan accordingly and understand what paths you could take. And one piece of advice that I gave the family business leaders in particular is Know your options. You might know that your daughter, son, nephew, whomever it's going to be, is going to take over the business and bet heavily on it. But know what options are available to you so that, God forbid, something happens, huge change in the markets around your company. You know, you may have that next generation say, you know what, I, I don't want to go with the family. So this is going to be really hard for my parents to hear. And then as the leader, of the business, you need to determine, okay, what does that mean? So it's important to know what options you had, even if you're dead set on a particular scenario. If you're a, a, a family business leader right now, what are some just kind of must-dos in terms of you're doing a holistic 360 degree review of your business? And I'm talking anything from operations to the org chart to tax, et cetera. What are the what are the things that are the most common fixes that you see that families at least need to be asking their professionals they work with? Are we best in class right now? Yeah. So I, I something I call state of the union, 
Um, it's really a strategic assessment. And it's looking outside the company and also inside the company. Elements will be at least the main ones, no, maybe a couple others that I won't touch upon today, but the family diet, you know, that's key. Like what does family interaction with business look like? Is it healthy? Is it a competitive advantage? How would you say? Based on those interactions, can you make decisions to be nimble relative to your competitors? Then you want to look at your mission goals. Are, is your mission clear? Is it current, relevant? Are your goals outlined? So do they make sense that they've been Their values, are they understood? Are they determined? And are they ingrained in the culture of the company? Your organizational health, which touches upon values, but goes well beyond that. Just the health of your overall culture of the company in that regard. Your internal capabilities, which means how good at me are actually conducting our mission and creating the value that we're intended to create for the company. And every, every goal mission is different depending on the company. Your competitive position, you know, how are you positioned against your competitors? Are they making substantial investments that going to put them ahead of you as far as productivity or, you know, actually relating your the customer base? Uh, and then the evolving markets around the company. How are, you know, how is that landscape changing? Are there any disruptive technologies out there that are really changing the way things work? Or is it possible that your, for example, one of your main product lines is becoming obsolete? You know, we need to be aware of those things and try to get ahead of it as much as possible. So it's important to have an internal view and external view in thinking all the sides. Right. And, and I love that dynamic of the internal versus the external. I think both are important. In my experience, it seems like most families, when I'm talking about existential issues blowing up, off, more oftentimes than not, it's an internal family dynamic issue than it is a externality pressure. Have you, would you agree with that sentiment? I think they're tied together. That's a, that's a great way to frame it. But because of the internal conflict, they cannot make decisions that will better protect them against the external forces and allow them to move the company forward in order to adapt based on the external landscape changing. So I, I think, yes, that's very true. That, And that's why it's so important within the family dynamic that you try to understand the different elements that come into play and try to have them be a competitive advantage or at least not a headwind wherever possible. And some of those elements, and I, I didn't really walk through them, but you know the unique elements family dynamic are, are the history family and the company ownership the values mission and goals the family and the company both have values missions and goals are they aligned are they very different governance decision making which we start to the level of professionalism the culture it's also kind of decisions on exit or secession those are all elements that can be intertwined between the two and you want to try to create an environment that can help you fulfill your mission and you know, hopefully be a competitive manager over non-family businesses in your space. Same question, different way to ask it. Sure. Where do you find families are spending too much time and energy unnecessarily? Where are they focused, heads down, and it's it's not going to you know have any drastic improvements on the firm? Where are they, I don't want to say wasting time, but misallocating resources? I would say... One of the biggest areas of concern I have is that family businesses are so stopping the day-to-day 
that they're not thinking long-term enough. And it's, it's easy to do. And it's something that hopefully a third party you can, can help them see the bigger picture. So I would say they might worry too much or not understand the biggest value creation opportunities of, of how to move the dial and spend a lot of resources in those regards. Like you could, you could fit, it's a particular widget that company thinks it's important, but you're like, actually, you know, as far as profitability, that doesn't have much of an impact or, you know, you have to think about the, the non-financial elements too. Culture is very important. Um, so it's possible that you, know, you get so stuck and pulling up on something that the family cares about, but when that's looking at it in the larger context of ultimate value add, relative to the time and resources needed to pass the issue. Common red flags that you see that when you're consulting with a family or getting into it, that you immediately say, everything's stopped. We need to fix these issues first. Or this is this is now <laughs> on the front burner. Everything else can wait. Yeah. I mean, there are different... If, you're, if you look at a company and, you know, I, I saw this person, yeah, it was a red flag for me stepping into my voice changing my business. My father-in-law did a lot of great things for the company over time. But when I stepped in, I, I saw a number of red flags and that he created a very efficient organization, but almost too efficient to be sustainable because the funding was not fully there to adequately maintain or the company forward. And, you know, you have to think he was thinking a couple of years left, if somebody wants to invest in the company, they can do so when they, they buy the business. But I think it caught up to him much more quickly than, than he thought it would. And so that's just one example of a red type of red flag when the investment's not there to continue the mission of the company that's needed. Another example, looking at nature or patriarch that's looking to retire would be losing sights. And I spoke of this before, but losing sight of the world changing around. And it's so easy to do. And I guess that's one too. But it, it's, you have to be aware of what's around the corner. You know, you can't predict, but you have to look at the larger environment uh, and make a decision. So it's critical. And it's, it's a piece of the puzzle, not the full puzzle. But then, you know, between that and adequately investing or to maintain the company or to move the company forward. Or are a few key areas that I see as first red flags. As you're speaking to business owners and, and family members, and we're recording this kind of middle of 2022, what's keeping them up at night right now? Yeah, that's that's another good question. They've gone through COVID. Some companies better positioned than others, respective environment. Some have actually created tailwinds. Some there's very very material and wings. And I feel like going into 2022. People were saying, you know what? This is it. This, this is the new beginning. This is this, the fresh start. But it's just been a continuation of some of the stressors that have been there as far as supply chain issues, as far as labor issues. Just to give a couple examples, just, you know, there's some talk about whether inflation at that middle in last year, one or transitory, now you're seeing sustained inflation. So as the Cost pressures have gone up. Looks like business owners have been able to pass those costs on to the consumers, the end consumers. But you know, you're hit, you hit a point where you can no longer do that. So when you have 
do you account for that additional cost? Are you pay for it or is it passes it on to your suppliers? You can. Some of those legacy issues um, have continued. I think that's a material concern. You know, this speaks so beyond family businesses and like that. But, you know, specific to family businesses too, I mean, I, I would think what's the next shoe to drop? You're seeing behind the demand. People looking at the self-fulfilling box to see of, of inflation. Well, are they cutting back on their spending? And so I think the concern of what's what's next for the economy and for each family business is unique niche will be because you know if supply starts dropping that's one of the biggest concerns so would you say sentiment as yeah, demand starts dropping right right yeah, yeah would you say just overall sentiment on the economy centra bullish or bearish for private business owners right now i would say more on the bearish side currently and you know, i consider myself more optimist but not so it's hard for me to say that but you know i want to be realistic so, you know, I, I think demands realistically is, is the next shoe to drop. And what does that mean? You have to figure out how to make things more efficient within your company to try to account for the loss revenue that's coming in. How do you make your organization more sustainable ultimately in, in this type of environment? How do you protect yourself? You know, as you raise the point. You're seeing a lot of business owners that are looking to get out, but they're also saying, okay, so, you know, the, the, the you know, the economy is, uh, is in trouble here. What does that mean for my ability to get out? So some may think, you know, do I defer even further or say, hey, I'm going to do this company for rates price, price further, depending on who the buyer is. Others may see it as an opportunity saying, hey, I want to, Get this company as low value as possible to pass it on to the next generation. This is great. I mean, I had a conversation with a neighbor a couple days ago and he was just talking about you know, the whole planning process and you know, whether the uh, SP is dropping or declining and decisions people make on saying, hey, I, you know, I want to pass it on when the value is lower. So every situation is unique, but I, I feel like the what, what's, what's next is largely going to keep business owners up at night on top of, you know, the continued labor issues that they face, the supply chain, depending on what industry. So, I mean, they've had things that have been on their mind for years now that are still in the picture. And there are additional elements that just keep coming the play. If you're a, a business owner listening to this conversation, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to them that would be applicable across the industry? food group, vertical, et cetera, to make their businesses more competitive and more sustainable? What would it be? Yeah, I, I would say you need to think both long-term and short-term to have a sustainable organization. You need to do, be more thoughtful, possibly about strategic planning, all the way down to, you know, that day to day, when, when, you know, I, I gave a presentation on this a couple of minutes ago, and it's just the flux that it's an ultimately on the long term side inspector with strategic planning, but maybe three to five years out. And we also have the operating model, which would be one to three years out. It's the what does the structure of the organization look like to meet our strategic plan goals? Then you have the operational planning, which is, you know, one year within, you know, 
okay, these are resources we're going to use in the detailed assignment at work. Then you have the day-to-day operating. But you need to also be reviewing what's happening on the day-to-day level. By day-to-day, it could be your monthly processes, your weekly processes, your daily. And you need to actually review those. And quarterly is something you want to consider quarterly to do a review to make sure you're on track with your operating plan. So you also have more daily and weekly monitoring as well. But it's important to take a look at the issues that pop up. And it's so key. And it could be issues that are impacting your actual manufacturing operations if you have a manufacturing company, but it could be organizational issues. It could be capital sourcing issues. You need to be thoughtful about the issues you face and have a process in place to review them and to work in a very, very methodical way. And I feel like in the small and mid-sized family business space, inherently there's not as much structure process, professionalism, and it's just... It makes sense. I mean, it fits the size of the organization, but there likely is room for improvement to try to make sure that we can sustain the organization beyond a particular person and, you know, beyond, let's say, a particular product. Well, Greg, I want to thank you for joining us, especially the day after the Celtics lost, you know, as a, as a Boston guy, I'm sure it was a, a tough night, but, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, the... The work you're doing, the newsletter, the niche approach you have within this space, it's really helpful to get your perspective on these things. If people are interested in learning more about your business practice, your focus, the services you provide, what's the best way for them to get engaged and connected with you? Sure, there are a few ways to do so. They can call me directly at uh, 978-883-3522 on my email address, which is just greg at romerosolutionsgroup.com. Or... Check, uh, check us out on our website, which is just www.romerosolutionsgroup.com. You know, happy to have a conversation just to chat your about your particular niche family business and help out wherever the need is. Greg, thanks for the time. Keep up the good work. And I uh, look forward to meeting up in person soon. Yeah, thank you. And a uh, happy Father's Day and happy Father's Day to uh, all of your listeners as well. Sure. Same to you. All right. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.